Hey, this is Chad Stewart from the band Faster Pussycat and creator of Devil's Crown Bloody Mary Mix. Are you sick of the same old generic wake up, break up, headache cure? Tomato juice, ice, fake flavors from a jar? Well, I've created a mix, tried and true, tested from countless years on the road. When you decide only the best Bloody Mary Mix will do, go to devilscrownmix.com. Flavorful, spicy, all the things you need to get your head straight. You'll think it came from the devil himself. And as a special full-on podcast offer, I'm giving you 20% off your entire purchase by typing in full-on at checkout at devilscrownmix.com. Cheers. Yeah, we're rolling. I heard a guitar string go. Big day today, fellas. Always a big day. It's always a big day. Great guest we have coming on is is amazing. We have Ned Brower. Um, Ned was in the band Rooney. Uh, If you you guys remember them from the aughts. Um, I think they've had three albums out and multiple tours. They did a bunch of stuff with the Strokes and Weezer. So that's going to be a great conversation. The thing about Ned is he's gone from being in a band... And being on tour to was first, I think, a paramedic and now is a registered <laughs> registered nurse. Um, Amazing. Yeah. He took the it's like the Dave Lee Roth route because that's what exactly didn't Dave Lee Roth do that. He did do that. And then he also has a um, he's part of uh, Don't Stop, which is the musical tribute to um, Fleetwood Mac that plays at the Largo here in L.A. And it's absolutely, I mean, when it was going before COVID, it was massive. It was sold out all of the time. And I'm sure he's going to talk about that. I know the last one that they did, they had, uh, the narrator was Ray Romano. So they're starting to get a lot of people to come down and sells out right away. Um, they do it once a month. Super cool. Nice. Yeah. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. Just uh, enjoying the day. What day is it? Monday? Tuesday? No. <laughs> I don't know. It's Wednesday. <laughs> oh, Wednesday. There yeah, it's Wednesday. You know what day it is. Yeah. I know I'm excited for this guest. I mean, you know, obviously doing great things in music, but then also EMT and registered nurse. Like this guy's impacting a lot of people's lives. Yeah. Know, on multiple platforms. That's pretty awesome. What do they call people? Essential workers. He's yeah, essential absolutely. Worker. Right. You guys have to have seen some crazy stuff. I'm sure. Being in Rooney, he was an essential worker because to me they wrote great music. But now for other people, <laughs> right. he's an essential worker. Yeah. They had to be blessed by his essentialness and other aspects. Yeah, <laughs> could you imagine? Like, I always thought about that, like with Dave Lee Roth when he was when he was an EMT in New York City. Can you imagine? Like, you have a heart attack and then your paramedic is Diamond Dave Lee Roth. He and said it happened. An- you have another heart attack. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Wait, did it did it happen? Yeah, there's maybe one or two people that were like, "Are you David Lee Roth saving my life right now?" <laughs> could you imagine? That's very weird. Like I can't tell because all my brain blood's in my boner. Yeah, right? Yeah. Plus, he looks like an old grapefruit now. So. <laughs> yeah, that was like late 90s, early 2000s. Oh, was it that long ago already? Yeah. Man. Man. Time flies. He also got time caught flies. with weed around yeah. that same time. Got arrested for that. Can you imagine how embarrassing it is now to get, you know, to have an arrest record that has weed on it? when you People, get, people yeah, still right? in jail with for smoking weed in the 70s. Yeah, well. You're, I don't well, want to get into politics. Do they do no, they no. do they go off? Do they go <laughs> off the rules? Like you were breaking the law at that time, so you remain in jail because you broke the law, even what? if the law isn't the same anymore. It's, it's like that Family Guy thing, where it's like they show like you can you can like be with a prostitute and get arrested, but if you have a camera and say you're making a porno, then you're fine and you can sell it and make money. Small business, <laughs> yeah. Small bees. Yeah. Small bees. For real. Like I have a permit for that. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, speaking of which, small business, uh, let's talk about You Grow. <laughs> nice segue. Ah, yeah. Thank you. Killing That's right, it. all you musicians out there that want to get your music placed on real Spotify or YouTube playlists for real streams and not robot spins. All you have to do is go to YouGrowPromo.com. That's YouGrowPromo.com. And use the promo code YouGrowFullOn to get 10% off your first campaign. 
Um, as we said last week, we have tested this and it actually really works. Actually, one of our previous guests who has a label has reached out too because he heard the podcast that we had with um, with Matt Simpson and was impressed by it. So this is real shit. So get your songwriting together. Get your songs together. Um, make sure they're good because no one wants to hear bad shit and use You Grow Full On for an extra 10%. Yeah, fullonboner.com. Get your music in See? front of actual listeners. Yeah, really good which stuff. is great, yeah. man. Like, be part of the revolution. You know what I mean? I was complaining, oh, I don't get signed, blah, blah, blah. Like, Hollywood's such a weird town. Like, we're going to have Ned come in. He's, I'm sure he'll tell us about how bad a record deal is because I have those stories with that band. I mean, Rooney is a band. that the, Their whole second album fiasco is one of the reasons I left the music industry anyway. So, oh, wow. um, so, so do it yourself. Join the revolution. Join You Grow and use You Grow Full On for that extra 10%. I know Keelan's going to use it when, when his stuff's finished, and I know Raptors should use it when Absolutely. your new stuff's finished. Yeah. And, yeah, I'm going in the studio, too, with Ian and some other people. Yeah. All right, so here we are. We are with the one and only Ned Brower from Rooney and other things. There is actually another Ned Brower. It's not the one and only. I met one other guy with my exact same no. name on the East Coast. Are you serious? Yes. What does he do? Oh, my God. He's also he a musician. Approximate same age. Really? Yeah. But I got all the, I got all the you know, email accounts, Instagram accounts. Before I guess I must have got there before he did. So that, in reality, then, you are the one and only. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> so so you, Legally. you originally come from Seattle, Washington. Yes, that's true. What brought you down to L.A.? I grew up in Seattle and sort of was in bands and things like that. And uh, through high school, it was like my primary hobby, I would say. And then when it came time to go to college, my parents sort of pushed me from the nest. And um, I ended up going to film school in Texas. So when I finished with film school, I decided to move here. Just I didn't really have a very clear picture of what I wanted to do. I think I was kind of imagining that I'd be a music video director, which was like a safety option because really I just wanted to continue performing and being in bands and acting and stuff like that, which ultimately is where my path took me down pretty quickly when I got here. So so growing up in Seattle and, you, and you're playing in bands, what kind of music were you playing? Uh, I was in, let's see, I mean, I think the first couple bands I was in were sort of grunge-inspired Somebody told us once we sound like the Doors, which now I think is pretty cool, but at the time was embarrassed by that <laughs> concept. Um, and then I got pretty quickly, like when grunge kind of exploded, I moved into like more kind of punk music and got really into like like what I would consider the original pop punk, like Green Day before Green Day was big and popular and uh, Ramones and stuff. And I had a band called The Way Outs, which was like, yeah, it was like a pop punk band with a girl singer. And I, that's when I started playing drums, was in that band. Okay, what'd you do before that? I was kind of... The first thing I started tooling around with was the bass. I like knew I wanted to be in a band, and it seemed like it would be the easiest. It just like was, seemed like the least going on, so I got a bass. My parents were pretty cool and supportive. I think they got me a bass and an amp, and you know I'd have to have like the kid that knew what he was doing in the neighborhood tune it and literally, like, <laughs> here's where your fingers go. Like Paul Simonin or something. <laughs> you, don't, you don't want to be a bass player in a band that they say you sound like the Doors because they didn't even have a bass player. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> Although when they did use a bass player, they used Jerry Sheff from Elvis's band. So okay, okay, yeah. Um, that's a great point. I never considered that. <laughs> so um, it, it, it's always funny with Rooney because you guys had such a unique and, and just true-to-yourself sound. that I In all the time I spent with you guys, I never even once asked, like, what were you into before? You know what I mean? Like, not on you, but Taylor and, and Louie and all of those guys. Yeah. Well, I was a little older than them, so which a lot of people didn't really realize. But, like, I had already had a whole, like, life or two before I met those guys who were then still in high school at the time. And I was just out of college. So, um, although, ironically, like, I started at the same time. Taylor started when he was so young. We pretty much started around the same year, more or less. Um. But yeah, I, I ended up, you know, I was always a singer as well. So I quickly got off the bass and started singing in the band. But then I would show up early for rehearsals and start tooling on the drums. I just enjoyed that. And that just came a lot easier for me. And it just kind of clicked. And um, and everyone needed a drummer. So I got some drums. And once I had a drums and could play them, then I was kind of off to the races. So you, you come down to L.A. 
do you do you form a band down here? Do you do mostly acting or? I came down here and had a couple like just really fortuitous lucky breaks right out of the the gate and I started modeling. I had gotten a couple of jobs in college when people were passing through to shoot like there was like a J crew that shot some stuff at my school and then a W which is like that high end fashion magazine came a year later and I lucked into that again. So by the time I got here, I got set up with some people and started doing like tons of print modeling jobs and stuff like that, which is cool because I was helping pay the bills and that led quickly to like acting in commercials and then starting to do film and television. And, uh, and then I ended up joining Rooney just kind of like as a hobby. Um, they were, I was friends with their older brothers, basically like their older brother band Phantom Planet. Okay. Yeah. So that's how I met those guys and joined that band kind of as a hobby and you know, but they were, you know, they had this huge, they already, ha- we already g- were getting a fan base really quickly because they had all these high school kids that liked the band that were from local high schools. And so like playing a show as a high school band in LA would be like playing at the Whiskey and the Troubadour and stuff. And so we started selling those out and, you know, eventually got signed. And that's when I kind of stopped acting because why bother? I was mm. in a rock band. And that was what you really wanted to do. Yeah. Plus, I mean, it was fun and it, we had, it felt like at the time more control, you know, like I, w- I was psyched to not audition and get, you know, I was just excited to be able to go do what I love doing. And, um, and, you know, we got a really nice deal. So right away it felt like a success, you know, I mean, that was probably like two years into the band, but re- that's relatively quick, especially when you're that young. Yeah. I mean, how much joke, like, when I first met you guys, it was already done. You you were at the label. I was at the label already. So, like, how much showcasing did you guys have to do to get to that point? Well, I think, like, the showcasing for us was cool because, again, like, all the label guys were in town. So we, our showcase was like, hey, you want to come see our show? We hooked up with a guy who came and saw us, Brendan Burke, you know, like, mm-hmm. locally. I don't know if you remember Brendan. I know Brendan. Yeah, so he brought us to Andy Gold, who managed, like, Rob Zombie and... I can't remember who all else, but it was very established. So by the time we got to those guys, we were already selling out our own club shows in LA. So they just came and saw the line around the block and came and watched the band. And we were pretty, pretty dialed early on, like what we wanted to do. And, um, so yeah, that, you know, he shopped us around and it was like, no, no problem. It was like a bidding war pretty much. I think the first time I saw you, I think it was at was the Palladium, which is now the Avalon, and it was packed, and the album wasn't out yet, but like, yeah, you guys were already set and ready to go. Yeah, that was, yeah, I can't remember when that show was, but that sounds about right. Like, we were probably already signed, but we hadn't put anything out yet. Yeah. And we had, and that was a big place, and we yeah. were already filling, filling it up, so, yeah, that was probably, that was some of the most fun times of the band. I... I <laughs> It's always like, people don't understand like when you leave a band like you're gonna miss those times. It's not it's not when you're like really doing it, but it's when it's it's starting to happen. Yeah, for sure. And I think I've carried that lesson through. I try and enjoy the journey like even now, you know, trying different things. I remember like at that time we had just dropped a band from the label that I really loved when I was close to you. I tend to get close to the bands a lot, and I was so mad. I'm like, oh, there's gonna be this new band Rooney, and they're like Weezer, and I hated Weezer, and these these and they're kids. So I, I go in there, and I'm just pissed already. And when I go in, you guys are doing a line check, and Taylor's playing Smells Like Teen Spirit. I'm just, oh, fuck this shit. You know what I <laughs> mean? And then you guys, then Robert goes into Blue Side, and my mind's blown. And I've not been the same since. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was fun. That was one of our earliest songs. And, um, you know, they had that song before I even joined the band. So, yeah, it was, it was cool. I mean... I don't know. When did we first meet you? Where was that? Was it at the Palladium? Well, I don't know. We probably didn't meet that night. I think mm. it was somewhere else on tour. Yeah. It, I think it was the Weezer tour probably or, or um, the Pete Yorn tour. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it was... Uh, yeah, we did like Weezer, but we weren't really... We didn't have like the nerd thing that Weezer had. We liked the pop like sensibility and the loud guitars of the early Weezer albums. Mm-hmm. And actually, I think they only had the first two out when we started. They, they hadn't really come back with that Green album yet. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they were an influence for us for sure. And then we ended up doing, like, our first big national tour with Weezer. So that was cool. That was exciting for us. Yeah, you guys did that. You did the Pete Yarn tour. You did mm-hmm. Lollapalooza, which was a weird setting because it was you guys and Jane's Addiction and Queens of the Stone Age. Yeah, that was that was cool. That was fun. Um 
Yeah, all that stuff. Our touring history, like really on our first record cycle, was awesome. If you remember that, there was that band Granddaddy that was mm-hmm. on the Pete Yorn tour that we loved. Um, who else did we? You know, we toured with the Donnas. Um, all kinds of, and yeah, this, the the Lollapalooza tour was great because it was you know Audio Slave was on there, so we were going to watch the Rage Band with Cornell, and uh, yeah, Queens of the Stone Age was cool. Kings of Leon were on the other stage for a while. That yeah. was fun. Yeah, it was one of the things like you know that first album it did really really well, but should have done so much more. And I think for for me personally, I always took that very personally. You know what I mean? It's like there's so much more as a label we could have done because. You guys did what you needed to do. The songs were amazing. The the band itself, I mean, it was it was five unique individuals that when you came together, like it just made this sound that sounded like California. There's not many bands other than Van Halen, maybe the Beach Boys and you guys that like when I think of LA or I think of the beaches of California, that's that sound. Yeah, it was like it came pretty naturally for us. I just I never really blamed the label because I just always felt like with our band there was this weird we were kind of stuck between two different worlds all the time because we were so young and cute. So it was like, you know, the, I think the label wanted, they, they, they saw that it was like a potentially like huge commercial thing. But what we really liked was like rock music. And I think the personalities in the band were a lot more kind of like R-rated than some of the people at the, at the label would imagine. And then we were just stuck between like rock and pop because we were like pop, we were a pop rock band, but there wasn't really like an outlet for that at that time, you know, like there was either like really like bands that were a lot heavier than us, like the new metal stuff, at least when the first record came out or it was like Backstreet Boys. And and so we didn't really fit in either world. And when the Strokes came along, that definitely like opened up a lane, but we were still always kind of getting pulled in two different directions is how it kind of felt. Yeah. Even just radio format wise. Yeah. There wasn't really a home for it. And I agree with you. you Like some of those lyrics on that first, even like Daisy Duke, like, you know, when you when you really listen to what he's singing about, it's like, you know, he's he's handcuffing this girl to the bathtub. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I like that side of our, of his of Robert's lyrics and stuff. I, I kind of wish there was more of that. I felt like we kind of could have, you know, stretched it out more. I liked it when he was being himself, which has there is a dark underbelly to you know all of us. So, yeah. Yeah, those little Easter eggs were cool. We'd always talk about here, like, uh, uh, I Want You to Want Me by Cheap Trick and how that's really about a guy stalking someone. It's such a nice little pop song, but yeah. if you really listen to it, you're like, oh, shit. Yeah, that's a great band that we all really loved, and they still sound great. We've yeah. seen them, you know, in the yeah. last, I don't know, I haven't probably seen them in 10 years, but they were still, man, he can sing so well still. So still. he just put out a new album last week. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, it's it's... It's a little different, but it's still good. Everything about it's good. Still in standard tuning too, with that guy's voice. It's yeah. yeah, I don't think I don't know how he does it. Yeah, yeah he's great. T- Taylor has a lot of stories about. He's done a lot of research on him and his <laughs> singing and his 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 work. Uh, yeah, they're they're great. But that's another band that's kind of like I mean, obviously on a different level than Rooney because they've been around so long. But they've always also been one of those bands that's kind of just in the margins, you know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then they stuck it out, and they're they're still around. And they do their thing. Yeah. But but I think you know, going back to you saying, well, you don't blame the label, and I can appreciate that. But I blame the label, and I was a part of that. And I know Christina listened, so sorry, Christina. Um, the second album when you when you guys worked with Hoffer. You guys made this brilliant piece of music or this brilliant album that the label said, I don't hear anything. And then you guys went back. You guys probably recorded 100 songs over a two year period. Yeah, that's where we really like got off track. But again, I don't know. I, I, I think maybe I'm too close to it. I'm not sure we made a great album. You did. We, we did. We <laughs> we got really into like riff rock and I, I'm not sure it was like the right step. I don't think it was really like us in our best form i mean songs like uh, people may i'm sure they've heard them like get away but but that song i really enjoy your track one arm man like what's the story behind that and has anyone ever heard that like has that been released (laughs) um no i don't think that's been really i can't remember if that one's been released well i'm gonna i'm gonna cover that one day and get you publishing because i love that song (laughs) that's cool yeah it was i mean i i don't know it was just kind of funny i think we were getting we were into sabbath that year and uh (laughs) So we were trying to do something Sabbath, but it was also kind of a funny lyric. And I remember Tony didn't like it at all. I was pushing to record it. I felt kind of in the weeds when we were picking songs for that. 
we, we felt so passionate and so headstrong at that point because we, we, I thought relatively our first record was actually really successful. Yeah. So we had a lot of steam going into that album. But, you know, the whole thing was made on tape. And, um, you, you know, we were just, to me, in hindsight, we were doing all these sort of like classic young band mistakes. I'm just like, no, we have to make it on tape. No, we're going to make this whole new sound. No, fuck you. We know what the single should be. You know, just to where I look back and I'm like, hey, man, we should have maybe listen to some of our advisors here and there, but you know, eventually we got a record made that we really liked, but it took three years and that's a pretty big setback when, you know, we lost all our momentum and all our power Yeah. to where it was like, well, now you're going to listen to us and do it our way. We spent all this money. You're going to go do this tour and that tour. And that's when I think we started, I think our follow-up record calling the world's really a good record, but yeah. I think like, our touring history took took a shit after that. Well, you're exactly right. Like once you get to the point where you record a full album and you don't release it, you lose all power. Right. Because they say we've spent this. I mean, you just nailed it. That was exactly what happened. Yeah, yeah. and it was like you're going to work with this person, or you're not going to, or we're not going to put the record out. And then they paired us with Howard Benson after we worked with Hoffer, and that was a terrible mismatch. That just yeah. made no sense. Um, and then that record got shelved. So. It, that was a tough time, but you know, we eventually emerged and with something that we all really liked and had a, actually when we made calling the world, finally, we had a really good experience, like as far as learning and, you know, John Fields produced that record who became like a pretty serious mentor to some of the guys and, um, you know, made something that we all liked and the, and the label liked. So you put that out, you do the touring, you, you do the, the full run on, on that record. Then it takes a couple years to get to Eureka, which was was that the next full length. You did the yeah. wildlife thing first. Yeah, we did. We did like a four song EP after Calling the World called Wild One. And then we did uh, Eureka was our last studio record as a band. Which you have a lead vocal on on The Hunch, which I love that song that you and Taylor wrote. Thanks. Yeah, I sang a lead on Wild One and then on that title track and then on The Hunch. Yeah, at yeah. the end of the band. And um uh, Louis, who I I love, Louis. You know this. Oh, me too. I yeah, mean, he's great. <laughs> he he puts this song, and if you if you don't have this album, you, you got to check it out. Into the blue. Yeah. That Louis, it's such an amazing, like just dreamy Bob Welching type song. Yeah, I, it's I, love it. I love it too. And like the band just really gave it, like put all. You just hear everything great about the band in that track. I yeah. think, like Matt's bass playing and the all the vocals and stuff, and it's yeah, it turned out great. And then you put out a solo album. Yes. Which is still available. I mean, it's it's such a such a personal I mean, you have a song called Ned Brower. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which did you write about the Ned Brower in <laughs> on the East Coast? <laughs> that was like the actually that was the impetus. That started as a joke. We, we wrote, I wrote that like in the studio right before, you know, right in real time kind of. Um but I, my grandfather was named Ned Brower too. So really mm -hmm. it became more about it's more like a family song, but um it mainly it was just we thought that'd be funny to have a song that was my name so but you you have there's a song father to son right yeah yeah so, so, so you, you start to write for your real life what's going on yeah i was starting to write a lot of songs towards the end of the band just i mean honestly just trying to uh contribute and just w like broaden my skill set i guess and so you know there's always a lot of politics with that sort of thing um so I ended up with a lot of extra songs and then I went and made that record in Boston just to, I don't know. I just felt like I should do one solo album. So I went and worked with Mike Viola, who's amazing and has gone on to do all kinds of cool stuff in town here. Yeah. And he and I went to Boston and played everything on it. And, uh, with one, with an engineer, it was just the three of us in like 10 days. And I think it turned out great. I haven't listened to it in a long time. I don't even know where you can find it, but you can find it on Amazon still. Oh, currently. really? Yeah. Cool. And I think Apple Music. Um, but is I, I don't know if you know who this is, but Damien, I know, you know, Tony Molina, like it's Tony Molina before Tony Molina, which is, you know what I mean? Like you put oh, out wow. that. Yeah. If you put out that album now, like you'd have all the hipsters on the east side just going crazy for it. I don't know who yeah, Tony definitely. Molina is, but well, you should check them out. It's really good. But okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. I, I yeah, I, I liked the album. It's kind of like it's got some different pastiches on there. Is that? Is that a plural? Can you make past you just plural? did? You just did. Um, so, <laughs> was that <laughs> just saying it's been done? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, good, yeah. good. Yeah, it has been I done. I forgot you guys were there. Yeah, but it's funny because you're like your voice is very unique to you. Like, 
very few times you meet someone whose singing voice is a lot like their their speaking voice. Oh and, yeah, somebody else had told me that yeah. once recently. That's funny. And you have that, and like it really stood out in the Rooney songs when you did backup. You know, especially live. Like I mean, that was key to the live show. Yeah, I think so too. And I like the later stuff. I mean, I like the all the music we made, but I do think on the I just because I kind of revisited those records before we did this interview to just I don't know this I figured we'd talk about the band so, and you can really hear the um, like the individual voice characteristics, especially on the last album on Eureka, which I think is cool because Taylor also has a really particular voice. Yeah, and there's a we had a good blend from singing together, but it wasn't that kind of blend where it's like everyone's not like the Beach Boys where they all sound the same. Mm-hmm. You can hear the different characters and um that's the one thing i would do i wish we could you know if i could remix some of those records i would probably bring up some of the vocals so you can hear those voices a little bit more yeah because you always could live and i mean you're right it was very unique like if you had to go through that band and i'm gonna name everyone in that band and give me one word to describe each one we're just gonna start with matt winter this is gonna be tough for all everyone one word um, putting him on the spot. I know. Warmed up. Enforcer. <laughs> There's a okay. I gotta tell this quick story. Matt would love to piss off your TM so much, and like to the point of sitting in a seat on the van, sitting on a seat in the bus. It was just like that's a good. He wanted to be the enforcer, dude. It was so uncomfortable. I loved Matt Winter, but <laughs> he's he's, great. he's a dentist now. That's <laughs> really yeah. Where? Texas, like somewhere outside of Austin. Oh, man. He was so good, too. He's such a great bass He's player. He's a fucking great bass player. Yeah. I don't know how much he plays anymore. We played at Taylor's wedding together, and it was a blast. It was like just like nothing. No time had passed. I mean, he would just fill the pocket, and he didn't look like the type. Like You know what I mean? Like, yeah. He was, he was great. He, he had just, big hands, and like everything was made for the bass. He was so funny. Yeah. All right. Louis Stevens. Keyboards. Dry. <laughs> there, there was a time where, where Louis Stevens was one of the coolest looking motherfuckers on the planet. Yeah, he's Wh- great. He's so funny. He's so, I mean, I would, I could change dry to, I was talking about his wit. Yeah. But I could just y- use wit. I mean, his jokes in text form are perfection every time. And he doesn't say a lot. And he was definitely, though, like one quiet person in our band. And when he fucking drops something to say, it's just great. And no one ever could get mad or stay mad at Louie. He was just always that guy. Uh, Perfect keyboard player. Yes. Uh, Taylor Locke. Headstrong. Wow. Yeah, I'll go with Headstrong. I used to love talking with Taylor about music. Todd Rundgren or ELO, like he just knows it inside and out. You know what I mean? He he's a he's a master student of of like rock and roll and music history. And I mean, he just he devours rock biographies and internet articles, and he just knows so much about bands and the history of bands and you know, uh, studio stuff and arranging and guitars and equipment. And he's like a true master of bandsmanship. Yeah. Yeah. And just a great guitar player. And Uh, I was listening to like some of those early music yesterday and I was just reminded, like he was so good mm -hmm. even when he was 15. Because he he started when he was like four. Yeah. He was so precise, man. So precise. And he just had such a great tone and such a, unique like sound he was just a real like huge part of the band and not just his guitar playing but his arranging and his studio work and his background vocal arranging he really was definitely the person that would you know you're singing this you're singing this you know yeah yeah it was funny because you know i know i know well let's let's start here let's go with robert first before we go um this is not like one word but it's he's like jack of all trades Mm. you know he could do he could play like a little bit of everything so i feel like i could come up with other words but when i think in the band context like that was his uh that was like his role i mean obviously he was the lead singer and the band leader also yeah yeah I, i know with robert he was you know it was kind of his band a little bit at the beginning right 
It was like definitely him and Ta- I'd say it was also Taylor's band. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but I'm but yeah, as that form. But like I think Robert, it was his original thing, right? Or I think the two of them started it together, and okay. Taylor was really the one with more band experience. I think he linked up with Taylor to Taylor knew how to operate a band, and yeah. But but Robert's always been the the songwriter. So in that regard, it's always the songwriter's band. But he would take everything. Like I would always tell him, dude, you can't take it to heart. Like the Rick Rubin comment, Rick Rubin made a comment once about the band that was a little bit derogatory. And Robert really took it to heart. I'm like, dude, you you know, fuck that guy. You can't, who cares? You know? Mm -hmm. And I remember I was standing on the side of stage with Josh from Queens on Lollapalooza. You guys are playing paralyzed. And he just looked at me and he's like, this band is so fucking good. And I I was like, man, I wish Robert could hear this. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I told him afterward, but like, unless you actually hear it, it's, it's hard to get the full impact of it. Cause, but I knew how, how sometimes, and, and the label people too, he would listen to every single thing they said and take it to heart. And like, sometimes you just got to go with your gut, man. I think that was a big problem is like not sometimes standing up in the right times for what was like, right. And, and I don't just blame Robert, you know, there was a couple of things in hindsight. It's like, yeah, I probably would have voted the other way on that one, you know, but, uh, I'm, but yeah. It was it was hard. He's a complicated person, and he's a wonderful person. Yeah, uh, you guys all were. Yeah, well, totally. And he's a very talented guy. I mean, the band really had a shitload of firepower. Like you just kind of talked through all those different personalities, but it, there was like a wealth of talent that I don't think I don't know if people could identify that easily because it was like, oh, it's a light pop band, but you know. But it wasn't. <laughs> it was a rock and roll machine. It really was. You know what I mean? Because you would have people come back, like, obviously, I w- we would always deal with, like, people would be there with their daughters or whatever, and then they would come back on their own the next time you'd come to town. You mm. know what I mean? Yeah. Because you guys were a rock band. You know, you could hold your own with the Donnas, with the Queens of the Stone Age, and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, that's cool, man. It's nice to, to hear that all these years later. And you had the best front of house guy in the business. There's, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Ted made you guys sound so good. You know what I mean? Like you guys are great, but like you sounded like the albums because Ted's a, a wizard. Yeah, I think about Ted so much as I as I mature in life. Just like the poor guy, like the shit he had to endure. Just in that he had so much experience going into <laughs> that, and then he was set up with this baby band of just fucking brats from L.A. that just like grew up with everything, and just I I, I just can't imagine how much we must have tried his patience you're probably now his age what he was then yeah i wonder that sounds about right yeah yeah and just you know he had a family he had his son and it was always on the road i just i can't believe how hard that must have been there was (laughs) it makes the fact that some of his behaviors make a little more sense there were times where i thought he was gonna have a stroke because like he would be like i think he would say to your brother because your brother is out on the road and he'd be like where's Louie? And Louie, we're in Austin, Texas, and he went to some girl's birthday party <laughs> before the show. I'm like, who gets in a car on tour before they play <laughs> and yeah. goes to a birthday party? You know, I, I thought Ted was going to have a, a cardiac right there on the spot. I uh, know. He would He would go and he'd grab the uh, the Grey Goose bottle off the rider and hide it under his pillow and like hide, like hide stuff away. And now I realize, oh, yeah, you needed that at the time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Matt eventually leaves. You bring in Ben. Uh, Brandon, Brandon, I'm name. sorry, yeah, yeah, Brandon, yeah, yeah, from Fiddler, yep, who's another great band, and he seemed like a good fit. I mean, it wasn't the same, but I ran into you guys like in Denver or something, and yeah, it was a great fit actually. We got really lucky with with Brandon. I mean, it was really all the studio music we made together was with was with Matt, um, but for that last like tour cycle, Brandon came in, which is cool. He was really he's fucking awesome bass player yes. too. He's amazing. Um, a lot looser than Matt, which was fun for me. Matt really liked things to be like airtight, mm-hmm. which was cool. I like that kind of thing too. But then Brandon was more like into, I don't know how to describe it. He liked, he liked funk music and James Brown and stuff like that. And he played that way. So was it different for you to play with him than as opposed to winter? It was because Matt would get like, you know, the enforcer, like if there was a mistake, he would be like pissed off about it. Whereas I'm more of a personality. I don't, I don't really. Yeah care about that sort of thing especially in like a live context and with brandon it was just like loose and a, a little more um improvis improvisation yeah yeah exactly he would enjoy that kind of stuff so yeah. i do think in that last tour we would go out there a little more like left to center off the records and jam which isn't always a great idea but we we had some good ones um so that was like i think how he was 
primarily different than that. And then just the thing of having a new person that's excited to be there. Yeah. We were all, <clears throat> excuse me, pretty salty at that point, you know? So like to have a new like boost of energy a shot in the arm, I think was good for everyone. What was crazy is, you know, and I agree with you being salty cause I ran into you guys and it was a little bit different feeling than I remember when I was working with you guys. Yeah. But I brought the band I was working with at that time to your show. And I mean, the minute you guys started, it was just like old times again. You guys are so tight. And I was just like showing is like, this is how you do it. Like, this is a professional band like these. You guys were hitting everything like it was just an, it was probably other than one Viper Room show that I saw, which was magic on a Monday night. That show in I think it was Denver, right? Or something like that. Uh, or Salt Lake City, a lot. yeah. yeah it, could be it just blew us away. I mean, all these years later, and and I know what turned out to be the end of the band, but when you guys played, that's what mattered was the music, and it really came through. Yeah, it was. I mean, we had a special bond, and I think just growing up playing music together, it really like, you know, we all taught each other how to play music. So there was like a language that was very unique to the band, and whatever that whatever that sound is, that's what's cool about bands. It's like a very specific, I can't really put my finger on it. I don't know why it all kind of worked together, but it did for a good decade. So I'm really happy to have like made some, some permanent music and have all those experiences. All the travel was amazing. And, um, yeah, most of it was a really good time. Do your kids understand the impact of that? Do they, um, they're just starting, my kids are now 11 and seven and they're just starting to become interested a little bit. I think in the fact I was in a band, but I'm still like just their dad. So I don't think you always just be <laughs> exactly. Um, my son, you know, he was born when I was still in the band, but he was a baby and my daughter missed the whole thing. So, but they've seen me play in other, you know, areas. So that's kind of cool. And we play at home and stuff. I still have my Rooney drum set set up at home. So that's cool. And they can see the videos and all that. Are they interested in music at all? or They are, yeah. They're both interested in music. We don't like push it too hard. I'm not like a tiger dad mm -hmm. vibe. But um, yeah, my son just, start, he, I mean, he can play drums pretty well just naturally, just from having one at home. So, uh, And then he's just started picking up the guitar like in the last week or two. He begged me to buy him this like online guitar app thing. And he picked it up and like, played for hours the first wow. night and the second night he had blisters on his finger and had a few chords. I was like, fuck you <laughs> surpassed me already. <laughs> um, so I'm hoping he'll do that. I continue. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, uh, yeah. Plus he has uncle Taylor. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, they're really close. So, um, and Taylor's like always been so cool about kids. He's has such an interest in other people's kids, which is funny cause he's, such a sourpuss in it in a lot of other ways, but he's, he's a, and now he's a dad, which is amazing. So, oh, that's right. Yeah, but he's so he's weird. been cool and supportive of Emmett. He's like, oh, we got to get him a rig. You know, he's already trying to get him a vintage uh, Fender Tweed amp and, uh, <laughs> you know, the right shit. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. Keelan, you're younger than us. Like, when did you become interested in music? Um, I've told you before, like, just having my dad be a guitar player, I only knew music growing yeah. up and it, like, hit me immediately. Um, just uh, seeing bands play on TV and stuff, I was like, the kind of energy I got off of it. So like, I can't remember like, since the day I was crawling on the floor, I I played on stage for the first time when I was five, and that was it for me. Yeah, yeah, so it was young. What's your main instrument? I'm a singer. Oh yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's the thing. So yeah. I'm not a musician. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a drummer. Me either. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. Like, what, when you hear that that sound in the crowd and you get that reaction, it's hard. It's a hard drug to to give up. You know what I mean? Because you're not going to get that anywhere else. Yeah, that is true. I'm a thrill seeker, so it's like it, it is really exciting and fun. But it's it's trained me to like uh, I can go public speak now and be like it's like I'm on beta blockers. You know, yeah. it's like after doing all those shows, and so I think that's been kind of a cool takeaway. So so after that, I mean, I run into you on Santa Monica, and you're an EMT. Yeah. So what what goes from you know you're in Rooney. And you'd put out your solo album. What's that next career step? Following What's that David choice? Lee Roth's path. <laughs> yeah, just like yeah. David Lee Roth. <laughs> who, who is my original favorite guy when I was a little, little kid. <laughs> really? That's the first musician that to me was like, that, that, that's what I got to do. When I was, you know, single digits. Um, <laughs> you walk into that the explains footsteps. A lot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, 
So the question is how did I make that transition or why, I yeah, guess? Both. I so the band ended traumatically, um, <laughs> as most bands do. And uh when the dust well, I don't think the dust had even settled. We were kind of on a break trying to work through interpersonal issues. Um and I felt like the band was going to end. I had already been in it for so long. I had my first kid and I was like, well, I need to do something. I think what was really hard for me about the band at the end was like feeling like my adulthood was being like forced upon you. (laughs) No, it was like being kept from me. It was like I had no autonomy over my own life and it didn't feel like I could it felt like out of control where it was like, well, how am I going to support myself and my kids? Like I can't, it just became hard to be tied to this, to all these other people all the time. Um, but then I'd been in the band so long, I didn't have any kind of conventional like job resume. So I had no fucking idea what I was going to do. And I was at a party with some friends from college and was talking to one guy I went to college with who had become a firefighter in orange County. And, he, we were talking for a while, having drinks, and it just stuck in my head. And I was like, that sounds pretty cool. In a weird way, it's kind of band-like. You're working in teams in these like exciting environments, you know, unpredictable environments. Um, maybe I'll try that out. Like, I don't know what else I'm going to do. And I, wanna, I need to try something. I just wanted to be proactive. And when I found out you could get your EMT certificate pretty quickly, I went to UCLA, did this program, and then started, you know, started working right away. Um, so I was working with the fire department after, after like six months of kind of boring, a boring EMT job, I started working with the fire department doing nine one one stuff and it was fun. It was like, you know, a couple of years of just insanity, like everywhere working from like Malibu to West Hollywood to Inglewood to Compton, you know, I worked in all these different areas all over town and just saw crazy shit. And it was, and it was fun. And the thrillist that you are. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And, and you know, that was just the first step. Once I took those first few steps, then I was able to start building a new, you know, a new thing based on that. And so I kept going and, um, yeah, we can move into the next thing or I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and chapter three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. I was just, I mean, it, you had to have seen some gnarly shit. You know what I mean? Like, Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Great, great stories. And not always just tragic, but just, I mean, some totally tragic and yeah. some just funny and weird. And what are some of those funny and weirds? Anything that sticks out? I had a call that stuck out to me where we were called to a house in Inglewood and we went down there and there was a big, big family gathering and they had this grandma that was just freaking out. She was like 90 screaming, like, and it was a sudden change in her like normal baseline. So that's always a concern. She's freaking out and no one can figure out what's going on. We're asking all the questions, trying to figure out, you know, her medical history and the fire captain's interviewing the family and everyone's just, no one can tell what's going on, but she is like level 10 out of 10 wigging out. Mm-hmm. So we load her in the gurney. Everyone's kind of rolling out the door and the, you know, the captain's loading up the fire truck and I'm kind of in the back, just loading up the ambulance and I look over in the corner and there's like a sketchy looking nephew over there. And I'm like, nobody talked to that guy. What, what's he doing? So I'm like, Hey man, talk to me for a second do you know anything weird about your grandma? Is there anything that might've caused this that you might be aware of? Or did you see anything we should know about? And he's like, yeah, man, my grandma ate one of my brownies. <laughs> like, Oh, that makes sense. And everything came right into focus. She was like 95 and she ate dessert unknowingly. Oh, my so girl. Like, oh, well, that's no problem. Thanks for telling me. I know how to work with this. So yeah. lower the lights in the ambulance. Hey man, told my partner to turn on some, you know, jazz music, which I was just doing the rough math. I'm like, she probably likes jazz. She seems like the right, you know, time and place for jazz. And she calmed right down and she was cool and she was enjoying it. I'm, you know, giving her just calm talk and everything. We get her to the ER and she's finally calmed down. Roll her in, (laughs) open the door, boom, fluorescent (laughs) lights, you know, angry charge nurse in the hood, middle of the night. What's going on here? And she just, ah, just immediately went back to 10 out of 10, (laughs) you know, freak out. But, oh man. Yeah, so there's stuff like that, and just all kinds of weird shit. A kid drove a car through a uh, through an IHOP 
while his parents were knocked out on drugs in the back. That oh, was wild. No. And he was proud that he could drive at all. He's like, look what I did. I got us here. Like, Dude, you <laughs> drove through an IHOP. <laughs> <laughs> There's no drive through at an IHOP. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he tried it. He made one. There yeah. is now. Um, yeah. There is now. And are you still doing that? So, no, I went back, you know, like EMT is really cool, but it's sort of like a stepping stone job, like either into a full-time fire department job or police or for me, I kind of realized that there was this great avenue uh, in nursing, in, in emergency department nursing. I was meeting all these nurses, taking patients there all the time and all these different hospitals. And it just like to me, I was like, well, this is cool. Um, there's been a real movement to get more men in nursing and it's just a great job. You know, the, the, the pay is good. The schedule's great. You work three, three, 12 hour shifts a week and then you got a lot of days off. There's a tremendous amount of flexibility and there's just tons of areas you can work in from like oncology to pediatrics, emergency, you know, tons of stuff, mm -hmm. tattoo removal. I mean, like weird jobs like <laughs> that, that you would never think. So, um, yeah, I ended up going back to school and that's where my kind of medical journey has taken me. And now I'm a pediatric emergency nurse at Children's Hospital. Oh, wow. Right there yeah. on Sunset? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Which I actually just started. So I'm kind of in this training program um, learning about pediatrics, which is kind of like it's its own subspecialty. Yeah. Um, and it's been great so far. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, listen, that those are superheroes to me registered nurses like with the stuff that i just had happen like and and you do say that you you work three 12-hour shifts though so i would always like i'm in there for a, a week each time so right. i'd have the favorite nurse and yeah. then you know i'd only see her a couple times or yeah. see him a couple times and it's just it's a bummer when they're not there because you, you do grow close to those people yeah it makes a huge difference in your care because you know that's what i've come to learn is the doctors you know they're they're writing the orders and ordering the medications, but all of that care, you know, 90% of what's happening. I mean, well, there's a lot of people that are helping out behind the scenes, but as far as your like in-person care, that's all nursing. And, um, you know, there's a lot to it. I, I was also just amazed, you know, when I was a younger person, I thought that was just like, well, the nurse comes and gives you a bath and, you know, but it's just like, there's so much science and, oh, you yeah. know, they keep raising the bar on, on nurses, especially at the really, big institutions and high quality hospitals, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into, you know, becoming a, a registered nurse. And, um, I got to learn all this interesting stuff and it's cool. I have this skill now that I feel like is, is mine, you know, is part of my toolbox that I can use how I want and, um, can't be just taken away willy nilly, like, uh, some of the things in show business I've experienced. But you've always, I mean, and there's more, more now than ever, but you are touching people's lives, dude. You know what I mean? Like you did it with your music, your band did it and you did it. And now in this, trust me, you do it because I've been there. I've been on the other side of it. And right. those, I will never forget the names or the faces of the nurses that have, that have helped me over my things. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's huge. I, I mean, you know, all praise to you. Cause I think that's Thanks. amazing. Yeah. It's great. And it gives me time to still do all the creative stuff I like too. So now I'm trying to just flex both sides of my brain and, uh, mm. Yeah. You still write and still play? I haven't really been songwriting in a long time because I've been in school. I, I went to UCLA and did the master's program, so that was pretty intense. Um, but I do still play. You know, we have this Fleetwood Mac show that I yes. do with Taylor, and that's been a great way for me to, you know, still earn a living playing music, and it's like so much fun. And it's it's really all the things I loved about being in the band, even though it's not our band. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, but it still encompasses the setting up the shows and going and sitting backstage and all the good jokes and all and performing, you know, uh, setting up the, the concerts and just building the drum set on stage and micing it up. I love all that shit. That's like that, amazing. You still got to do that. It's great. And we get to travel and do it. And, and it also has like a comedy element that flexes like a whole new muscle for us. That's really enjoyable and fun. Yeah. So it, it's don't stop the musical, right? That's the name of it. Yeah. It plays at the Largo. Mm -hmm. Does it go through like the history of the band? Is that the story? Yeah. So when we started the show, it was, God, it was probably like seven years ago. It was pretty shortly after Rooney disbanded. And we had seen this, um, we had seen this Beatles show, like a really high end Beatles tribute. And I think we went with Robert Taylor and Louie maybe. And it just like blew us away. It was so perfect it sounded just like the records and it looked just like the Beatles it was great 
and so we kind of used to joke in the back lounge when we were still in the band, we're like, man, we should do that shit. Like, what, what, what could we do that for? So once the band actually ended, Taylor and I were like, yeah, we could do uh, Fleetwood Mac. Like, we, we looked it up, and there wasn't really a good one. There was, like, a lot of the bands that were, like, cover bands had missed the tones by a mile and, like, were the same age as the original band, and it just wasn't, like, sexy or cool. Um, Wait, he only did that because he had a white Les Paul already. No, no, he got the white Les <laughs> okay. Paul for the show, actually. Okay. Yeah. And it's not a Les Paul, it's a fake. It's some Japanese knockoff. Oh, wow, Taylor, how dare you? He even went and had uh, some Japanese guys to build a replica of Lindsay's weird, I forget what the brand is. It's a little red thing that he plays in Tusk, and he, yeah, you yeah. can look it up. It's really like particular, and they built a replica. Um, but yeah, so we started doing that, and like right away, we were doing it at the Roxy every month, just playing the music and we would act in character, but there was no script, but we dressed the part and we got all the replica gear and just performed as if we were Fleetwood Mac. Um, so it was more like a Fleetwood Mac tribute as you started it. Yeah. It was just a straight tribute show yeah. other than it wasn't like, and here's Ned playing Mick Fleetwood. It was just like, I am Mick Fleetwood. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, we did that. We, we got an agent right away. And so immediately we were doing these flyout dates, like weekend warrior stuff and getting paid, you know, we were honestly, we were more making, than Rooney. Uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> more consistent than Rooney. I'll yeah. say that. And we were way more responsible with the money. So actually, yeah, I was making more money than <laughs> yeah. Rooney. Um, you know, at least for the live stuff. And, uh, so yeah, that was fun. And then, you know, later we, cause we kind of were pitching it around, hoping somebody would get interested and like pay us to adapt it to like a musical. And eventually we just did it on our own and kind of sat down and, wrote the script and like, yeah, and that's what we started doing the show at Largo. So rumors was the name of the band that would travel and still is it's called rumors tribute show. And then don't stop is the version of the show we do at Largo, which has like guest narrators and shitload of costume changes and really goes through the story from like the end of the Peter green era to like the Clinton inauguration in the nineties. Wow. So it goes that like, so you have someone playing like Danny Kerwin and, and Jeremy Spencer and those guys or no, no, it really just, we, it, it, they're, they're alluded to through the show, okay. but we don't go that much detail. It, the overture of the show is yeah. basically the Peter green era, you know, and it's yeah. just like an instrumental Peter Did you green. Do little Do rattlesnake have... shake and some of the old stuff like that. <laughs> very good. I'm very proud of That's you. That's really right good. Now. Thank you. you know, don't, are you going to ask how I know that? <laughs> no, Aeros, Aerosmith not... covered it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but true, like Green Man Alicia and all that stuff. Or um, no, we just do one. We do one oh, well. song. I, Albatross, I think, oh. is the one song that we play. Okay. That just and that was just based on like the mood. Yeah, of the song, and then it jumps right into like Lindsay and um, Stevie meeting the band. And no, this Bob kind of Welch. Stuff. No, but he was mentioned. There's like okay. he's, you know again Easter eggs is like mentioned in a line of the show. Because that's the know. real fleet. That's the good shit. The Bob Welch. Yeah, is. it is cool. <laughs> Uh, I'm not a big fan of Fleetwood Mac. No. <laughs> ah, listen to McFleetwood over here. Um, yeah, but do you put a bald cap on near the end of the? I do. Yeah, yeah. there's a bald cap. Okay. It's, he it's may be wearing a wig right. now. Yeah, <laughs> um, oh my god, that's amazing. Yeah, there's uh, yeah, there's some great costumes and and it's it's very homemade, but it's it came off pretty pretty. I think we did a pretty good job. It was that was really exciting when we first put that show up. That was terrifying yeah. because we literally wrote a whole show with full of jokes. We already knew the music was going to be a knockout because we've been doing that a long time and it never fails because those are great tunes. Um, but yeah, it was scary, man. Going out to full stand and deliver like as actors. And we got out there and after the first couple of minutes and like... I'm hearing these big laughs off stage and Taylor's doing his Lindsay, which is amazing. He's an incredible impersonator and that's always been one of his things too. Um, and it was so exciting. Like that was, that's one of the things I'm most proud of because we put a lot of work into it and then it worked and it was just like, I couldn't believe it was working. It was very fun. What's better hearing like a crowd cheer for a song or a joke laughing, laughing at a joke or for me, at this point in my life, probably the laughs just yeah. because like it's an, it's new for, for us. And sometimes you gotta, and it, you gotta get used to waiting, holding for laughs, laughs and you know, yeah. um, that took some like getting used to, but really it's like the, the, that show for, I think Taylor and myself, just like all musicians were huge, like comedy people. And so to be able to do something that f is doing comedy and music together really is just like 
the pinnacle of fun for me, what I, what I enjoy. You're starting something new. I don't think there's anything like it out there. No, I mean, obviously, Steel Panther is like a comedy <laughs> act, too. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're a big influence on, a, on, on this show. Oh, really? Of, yeah. I mean, their show is... is that was another thing along with the Beatles that was just like really like blew us away. Funny and music, comedy and music yeah. combining, yeah. Yeah, and we used to see metal school, and then and then we saw Steel Panther, one of their fir- their first overseas show. I think it was in Denmark or something. Oh wow! We happened to be there. Super fans. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We were there playing with Taylor, and I were there playing with Mike Viola. I think. Okay. Anyway, we went to their show That's when they cool. first translate transitioned to being Steel Panther and doing original music, and yeah, that was cool. They're funny. Yeah. And, that's so. Cool. So who's in the the rumors band? Uh, so it is a let's see. So Taylor and myself, then this guy Nick Johns, who's a music producer in town, and mm-hmm. he, we met him. He was playing with Ben Lee, um, playing, and he's like another jack of all trades guy, like super great studio dude. And he plays John McVie, obviously. Yeah, and he's perfect because he's like, he's 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 really funny and smart and awesome, but he, I would describe him as very introverted. So that was perfect for that role. Cause he doesn't speak in the show, which is like a gag. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it was worked out perfect. Then we have a friend of ours, Jessica Miller, who's like our Stevie from the beginning. Who's just a great performer and Stevie and has a shitload of charisma. Uh, and then we have this woman, we had a good friend of ours named Rebecca Fishman that was in the show for a long time, but she has a lot of other commitments and she's a photographer. So she was real, always really busy with her photography. So eventually Taylor and I co-wrote the show with an actor friend of ours named Kit Pongetti. And she became like really like a, a pretty big part of the show. And she would actually sub for Rebecca. And she ended up the last couple of shows she was doing, uh, Christine, which is great because she has really good comedy chops. It, Christy McVie, her voice, uh, it's so weird. It sounds like a flat soda. You know what I mean? Like flat soda. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when Christine McVie's, it's like you're being yelled at by your mom for some reason. Even on the early albums, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's, it's so funny. Yeah, our impression of her was that she was always this like fuddy-duddy, yeah, momish English lady, but she was actually really badass. She's like a real rock and roller. That's right. You know, like she's smoking cigarettes in the like blues clubs with all the boys, you know, like when that wasn't the norm at all. So yeah, she's badass. And her songs are my favorite of their yeah. catalog. Wow. Yeah. You don't hear that a lot. At least I don't, but <laughs> her songs are good. I've never heard that. <laughs> right. I was like, maybe it's just me. I, I almost didn't know I, until like I mean, I didn't really, I think a lot of people don't realize there's two, like the casual fan, yeah. everyone knows Stevie. I don't think a lot of people, you no, know, the casual fan even know there's a second woman. I yeah. know. And she was in Chicken Shack, which was a great band. Like some of that stuff was really good. Yeah. She's great. Who plays the guy that walks Stevie into the bathroom with the briefcase on the straw? Louie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Louie actually is part of the show too. He I, does all our sound. He does all the sound effects. Oh, wow. There's like a lot of sound cues in the show. So he sits up in the booth. So he's like our tech guy. I miss that guy so much. I'm just going to be honest. I do too. He's, I mean, we still are friends. I, I text with him regularly. I see him occasionally, but yeah, he's a great hang for sure. That's good yeah. how connected everyone still is too. Yeah. You're do still you, performing. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, well, that's a great point. Like during COVID, do you, did you guys get together to rehearse or you just fucking use the, the albums and everyone does their parts or? Um, in the. And for, for rumors. and the We've really been like, it was crazy. We. Yeah, when the pandemic really came over here, it t- we had a whole year of shows that just kind of ended. I know, I had tickets for the March show. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. Um, yeah, we, so it just kind of like, just, I mean, immediately, and people kept trying to reschedule, especially in the South, very early on. It's like, yeah. Oh, yeah, you want to come back to Arkansas? And I'd be <laughs> like, this thing's very full-blown still. And I would just go, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll do that. And then, uh, you know, inevitably they just keep getting canceled. So we have a buildup of stuff. And I do think it's finally starting to, uh, I do think we're going to start doing some shows again this summer. Okay. Um, Are you going back to the Largo? That is the plan. I haven't really spoken to Flanagan exactly about like when his theater is going to reopen. Flanny's the guy who owns Largo and he's like a huge uh, icon in the LA music and comedy scene. You know, he's, has his own world there. So it's, it's really up to him, but that, that was always my, my, my intent for sure. Yeah. yeah. Cause we were having a blast doing those shows and we were really starting to pick up steam. We were having our last show. We had Ray Romano was the yeah. guest narrator. So we were starting to get these cool, really awesome guests and 
um, selling out the place and it was awesome. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where like for me and, and actually Laura, like we were so, that was the thing that really killed us the most about the pandemic right at first. Cause we finally had tickets. We couldn't get the ones for February cause that was Ray Romano yeah, right. and I saw you at the Rose bowl. Yeah. And so I, we got for March and then it's gone and I never thought I would be here a year and two months later and still haven't seen your fucking show. I know. It's crazy. It's been a, a wild year. Um, but I was just starting to work as a nurse. So for me, it was like really fortuitous timing to be able to like focus on finishing my school and getting into the work environment. Yeah. I mean, imagine if you were still in Rooney or another band and you're just sitting home doing nothing because there's nothing you can do. Yeah. That's like really, it's, a, it's brutal. So I feel for all my musical brothers and sisters for sure. Yeah. So so what's next for Ned Brower? Well, uh, I'm really like working on honing my nursing practice. I'm really trying to get, um, you know, become an expert, which takes a lot of time. I'm still very new in, you know, emergency room nursing. So um, I have a lot of learning to do on that. And I just really am trying to spend my off time I've really taken to surfing. I'm trying to get better at that. Um, I want to start taking bass lessons, um, get back to playing some concerts with, you know, some of these don't stop shows for sure. And, uh, yeah, just like really engaging, like engaged in, uh, just being in the present. Yeah. Keeping fit. That's good. That's important. Family time. Yeah. And I really want to find a way to buy a Volkswagen van again. <laughs> That's easy. Just find one. <laughs> They're expensive, the I, ones I like. Yeah. I mean, real quick, I mean, you're in the medical. Uh, what do you think's going on with COVID? Do you think it's going to go away? or? Uh, I don't think it's going to go away, but I think, like, in L.A., I mean, so many people got sick, and now there's so many people are vaccinated. I think we're getting closer to uh, to herd immunity, as I understand, so... You know, I think we can drop the shoulders a little bit, although some people kind of warn us against doing that. So I've yeah. tried to be kind of just uh, centered about the whole thing the whole time and not feed into the complete and total fear mongering while also being practical and, you know, wearing masks in public and, and stuff Just being like a that. critical thinker. Being a critical thinker, which is hard to find, I feel like. It's very in, hard in to the, find. In this world, yeah. So, yeah. Um, I listen to the people that I work with who are like experts in the subject. I'm not, you know, and I have a lot of patients. I did a lot of COVID work and a lot of COVID testing and, you know, patients ask me a million questions and usually they've read more about these things sometimes than, than I have. And cause it's a lot of times it's the people that are the most worried about it. So, um, I've been trying to not instill like a tr fear in my kids. I'm trying to get them through this without them being uh, neurotic and anxious and, you know, yeah. And I have my, I got my vaccines pretty early on, uh, as a healthcare worker. So that for me took, you know, eased my mind. Cause I was getting a little nervous. I was really spending a lot of time with some of these patients and stuff. And yeah. it worried me bringing that home to my wife and kids and stuff. Do you have to get it if you're a healthcare wor worker? That's a good question. I don't think legally, I, you know what? I don't, I don't know what the policy is. It's heavily encouraged in a place where I work. Well, you're with kids too. Yeah, um, yeah, which is like interesting because they don't. Kids' transmission is a little more questionable than adults, you know. But um, everyone I know that it works in healthcare has has their vaccination. That's great. That's yeah, great. yeah, it's good. It is important. Mainly, the biggest thing with the vaccinations is trying to keep it from replicating so that these variants don't take hold. Which I'm sure everyone kind of knows that yeah, by that's now. That's the kind of next the next chapter to see how that plays out. Yeah. Yeah, that's like the, really the main thing um, over getting sick and dying. They have gotten a lot better treating it, so um, you know that's positive from even just a year ago. Well, I, w I will say for me, you know, I was telling these guys earlier, like, you know, when I met you guys, I had just come off tour with Queens of the Stone Age for a couple of years, mm -hmm. and that was just every vice it was just insane and to finally be with someone and i met your families and your brother lucas and yeah. taylor's brother and it was just a family thing and that the music was so great to go with it it really inspired me to stay in the music business and i'm, I'm still am to an extent um but also everything with the hoffer record and all of that kind of stuff led me to leave the labels because i was just so it just disgusted me what what was going on with your band at the time not on your side but the way we were handling it yeah 
and it helped me get out of that cycle of being in the labels. But I mean, you and your band and your music has meant so much to me. And, you know, you brought us in myself and others as family. And I will always appreciate that and never forget that. Ned. Thanks, man. You, you too. You were like such a huge, I think, influence and like one of our main advisors and coaches through all that stuff and, and also to that crazy mid period. So I think if you weren't around, we, I don't know, we might've thrown in the towel. I'm not sure, but, uh, you meant a lot to us too. So it was, this is fun to reconnect. Yeah, for sure. Please tell everyone I said hello, um, Taylor and Louie. I don't think you don't talk to Matt anymore, do you? Or Yeah, no, okay. we do. We usually it's about medical things, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or it's very off-color jokes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we talk a lot. Cool. Well, thank you for your time. Thanks this for having me. This has been fantastic, me. and um, hopefully I'll see you more often. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I hope so. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks, Ned. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.